Forgotten Souls by David Pinsky. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Persons Fanny Siegel, owner of a tailoring establishment. Read by Arielle Lipshaw. Lizzie Ehrlich, a pianist. Miss Siegel's Border. Read by Amanda Friday. Hines, a teacher. Also Miss Siegel's Border. Read by Aidan Brack. Narration by Capricia Page. Place. A Russian provincial town. Time. 1916. Forgotten Souls by David Pinsky. Scene. Workroom at Fanny Siegel's. A door to the left of the spectator another in the back a large table covered with various materials at each side of the table a sewing machine on the wall to the right a three-panelled mirror in the corner a large wardrobe not far from the wardrobe two dressmakers forms covered with cloaks in the middle a broad armchair evening fanny runs out through the rear door and soon returns with a letter in her hand she tears it nervously open and is absorbed in reading suddenly she gives a scream of delight oh oh passes her hand over her face and through her hair looks at the letter cries out anew breathing with difficulty looks at the letter once more and exclaims heavily you my love my love she is lost a moment in thought then calls lizzie 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 enters dressed up as if for a ball sticking a pin in her hat mocks fanny's tone what's up what's up what's up read this quickly it's from berman lizzie takes the letter why see we've just been talking about him and they really accepted his drama looks at the letter Fanny looks on, too, in great excitement. Lizzie, as she reads, That's fine, turns over a page and continues reading. Why, this is an actual proposal of marriage, Fanny, my dear. Fanny, her breath short from delight. Did you understand it that way, too? Lizzie, still looking at the letter. How can it be interpreted otherwise? Ahem. My drama has been accepted and will be produced this very winter. The conditions of the contract are first-rate, and the director promises me a great success, and incidentally, a great reputation. Reads over some passages, in an indistinct nasal monotone, then continues. My, you ought to see me now. I've sung and danced so much, that it'll be a wonder to me if I'm not asked to move. I feel so strong. And now to write, to create, to do things. Reads again, in a nasal monotone and soon with greater solemnity than before and a certain tenderness and now i hope better days are in store for us happiness of such a nature that you cannot be indifferent to it stops reading that's a bit veiled but it's plain talk just the same gives fanny the letter speaks lovingly lucky woman my darling fanny embraces her you dear kisses her so that's the way you understand it too oh oh covers her face with the letter takes it to her lips and breathes with difficulty 
she takes from her right sleeve a handkerchief and wipes her eyes lizzie moved embracing her with both arms my dear fanny how happy i am you dear you now i know how i'll play at the ginsburgs tonight i'll put my whole soul into the music and it will be the merriest cheeriest soul that ever lived in the world fanny bends down and kisses her forehead my faithful friend at last my dreams come true fanny drops into an armchair your dream lizzie takes a piece of cloth from the table spreads it out on the floor and kneels before fanny listen i dreamed for you a hero before whom the world even before seeing him would bear its head i dreamed for you a triumphal march of powerful harmonies a genius a superman such as only you deserve shh shh don't talk like that no no you can't take that away from me as long as i shall live i'll never cease admiring you there aren't many sisters in the world like you why you never have given a thought to yourself never a look but have worked with might and main to make a somebody out of your sister i'll tell you the truth i've often had the most unfriendly feelings towards your sister olga she takes it so easy there in petrograd while you you're a naughty girl i simply couldn't see how things went on how you were working yourself to death but that was my happiness and now i am amply repaid for it to see olga placed upon an independent footing with a great future before her as a painter that kind of happiness did not appeal very much to me i wanted for you a different kind of happiness the happiness of being a wife of being a mother of loving and being loved i had already weaned my thoughts away from love and family life as the only happiness you poor soul when my mother died my road was clearly mapped out for me to be to my sister who is eight years younger than i both a father and a mother that purpose was great and holy to me i never thought of anything else only in the early twenties between twenty-two and twenty-five a longing for something else came to me not that my sister became a burden to me god forbid but i wanted something more a full life happiness and love at that time i used to cry very much and wet my pillow with my tears and i was very unhappy and i was easily angered then too so you see i was far from an angel lizzie draws fanny nearer and kisses her you darling you but later the longing left me as if it had been charmed away olga grew older and her talents began to ripen then i forgot myself altogether and she became again my sole concern and is that all what else can there be of course when my sister went to petrograd she was no longer under my immediate care and i was left all alone the old longing reawoke in my bosom but i told myself that one of my years had no right to expect happiness and love so i determined to tear out to uproot from my heart every longing i tried to convince myself that my goal in life had already been attained that i had placed a helpless child securely upon her feet but you loved berman all the time didn't you yes i loved him all the time but i fought my feelings life had taught me to restrain and to suppress my desires i argued he is too far above me too far above you and i am too worn out for him and furthermore i tried to make myself believe that his daily visits here were accidental that they were not intended for me at all but for his friend and nephew hindes who happens to board with me but how could you help perceiving that he was something more than indifference to you 
You must have been able to read it in his eyes. Well, you see how it is. And perhaps for the very reason that I had abandoned all ideas of love, and had sought to deceive myself into believing that I was a dried-up twig on the tree of life. Lizzie jumping up. My, how you sinned against yourself! Fanny rising. But now the sap and the strength flow again within me. Now I am young once more. Ah, life, life! To enjoy it, to drink it down in copious draughts, to feel it in every pulse-beat. Oh, Lizzie, play me a triumphal march, a song of joy, of jubilation. So that the very walls will dance and the heavens join in the chorus. Goes to door at the left, singing. Joy, thou goddess, fair immortal, daughter of Elysium, mad with rapture. Shh! Hindus is coming. Listens. Fanny, she has been standing as if entranced. Her whole body trembles as she awakens to her surroundings. She puts her finger to her nose warningly. Don't say a word to him about it. I will. He must know it. He must be happy over it, too. And if he truly loves you, he will be happy to learn it. And then, once for all, he'll get rid of his notions about winning you. Don't be so inconsiderate. Leave it to me. Hindus! Hindus! It's high time you left for the Ginsburgs. I've a few minutes yet. Hindus! Hindus! Hines appears at the rear door. He wears spectacles. Under his left arm a crutch. Under his right arm books. And in his hands various bags of food. Fanny steals out through the door at the left. Good evening. What's the news? Come here. Quick. Fan— Won't you give me time to carry my parcels into my room? Not even a second. Fanny has— Hines taking an apple from a bag. Have an apple. Lizzie refusing. Let me speak, won't you? Fan— May I at least sit down? Fanny has received a letter from Berman. Hines taking a seat. Saying that his drama has been accepted. I, too, have received a letter from Berman. That's nothing. The point is that he is seeking to make a match with her. He has practically proposed to her. Practically proposed? To Fanny? Yes. And when Fanny comes back, you just see to it that you wish her a right friendly congratulation, and that you make no— Hm. I came near saying something silly. Oh, I'm so happy, and I'd just have the whole world happy with me. Do you hear? You must help her celebrate, do you hear? And now, good night to you, for I must run along to the Ginsburgs. Turns to the door at the left, singing, Joy, thou goddess, fair immortal. Hines calling after her. But, the devil! Miss Ehrlich! Lizzie, at the door. I haven't a single moment to spare for the devil. She disappears. Hines grunts angrily, throws his crutch to the ground, places his books and his packages on a chair, and mumbles. What mockery is this? Takes out a letter from his inside pocket and reads it over several times. Grunts again. Rests his head heavily upon his hands and looks vacantly forward as if deeply puzzled. Fanny enters embarrassed. Good evening, Hindus. Hines mumbles without changing his position. Good evening. Fanny looks at him in embarrassment, and begins to busy herself with the cloaks on the forms. Hines, still in the same position, he taps his foot nervously. He soon ceases this and speaks without looking at Fanny. Miss Siegel, will you permit me to see Berman's letter? 
That's a bit indiscreet. Not at all like a cavalier. Will you permit me to see Berman's letter? Fanny, with a laugh of embarrassment, throws him the letter, which she has been holding in her sleeve. Read it, if that's how you feel. Hines bends slowly down, gets the letter, commences to read it, and then to grumble. Hmm. So. He lets the letter fall to his knee, and stares vacantly before him. He shakes his foot nervously and mumbles as if to himself. To be such an idiot. Fanny regards him with astonishment. Hines, somewhat more softly. To be such an idiot. Who? Not I. Picks up his crutch, the books, and the parcels, arises, and gives the letter to Fanny. Hindus, don't take it so badly. You make me very sad. I'm going to my room, so you won't see me. Don't speak to me like that, Hindus. Be my good friend, as you always were. And be good to Berman, for you know, between us, between you and me, there could never have been anything more than friendship. There is no need of your telling me that. I know what I know, and have no fault to find with you. Then why are you so upset, and why do you reproach yourself? Because. Because what? Hines, after an inner struggle stormily. Because I am in a rage. To think of a chap writing such a veiled, ambiguous, absolutely botched sentence, and cooking up such a mess. What do you mean by all this? You know, Miss Siegel, what my feelings are toward you, and you know that I wish you all happiness. I assure you that I would bury deep within me all my grief and all my longing, and would rejoice with a full heart, if things were as you understood them from Berman's letter. As I understood them from Berman's letter? And what rouses my anger and makes me hesitate is that it should have to happen to you and that I must be the surgeon to cut the cataract from your eye. Drop your rhetorical figures. End your work. Cut away since you've begun the cutting. Hines, without looking at her, deeply stirred. Berman did not mean you. Not me? Not you, but your sister. Oh! He writes me that his first meeting with her was as if the splendor of God had suddenly shone down upon him that gradually he was inflamed by a fiery passion, and that he hopes his love is returned, that— Fanny falls upon a chair, her face turned toward the table. She breaks into moaning. She has taken from me everything. In the deepest despair, with cries from her innermost being, she tears at her hair. Hines drops his books and packages to the floor, limps over to Fanny, and removes her hands from her head. You have good reason to weep, but not to harm yourself. She has taken from me everything. My ambition to study, my youth, my fondest hopes, and now— And now? Nothing. As you see, Berman never loved you. If it hadn't been for that unfortunate, ambiguous, absolutely botched, simply idiotic sentence— And as I feel that I no longer care to live— Folly. I feel as if my heart had been torn in two. My soul is empty, desolate, as if an abyss had opened before me. What have I now in life for? I can live no longer. Folly! Nonsense! I have already lived my life. Absurd! I know what I'm talking about, and I know what to do. Silence. 
Hines regarding her closely with blunt emphasis. You're thinking now over what death you shall choose. Fanny motionless. Hines taking a seat. Let me tell you a story. There was once upon a time a man who, not through doubt and misfortune, but rather through good times and pleasures, came to the conclusion that life wasn't worth living. So he went off to buy a revolver. On his way, a great clamour arose in the street. A house had caught fire, and in a moment was in flames. Suddenly, at one of the windows in the top story, there appeared a woman. The firemen had placed their highest ladders against the building, and a man began to climb up. That man was none other than our candidate for suicide. He took the woman out of the window, gave her to the fireman who had followed him up, and then went through the window into the house. The surrounding crowd trembled with fear, lest the house should cave in at the very last moment. Flames already appeared at the window, and people were sure that the hero had been burned to death inside. But he had not been burned. He soon appeared on the roof with a small child in his arms. The ladders could not reach to this height, so the fireman threw him a rope. He tied the rope about the child and lowered it to the fireman, but he himself was beyond rescue. He folded his hands over his heart, and tears trickled from his eyes. He, who but a moment before had sought death, now desired not to die. No, he wanted to live, for in that moment he had found a purpose, to live and to do good. To do good? I'm tired of doing good. Don't sin against yourself, Fanny. Do good? I have done good. I have lived for others, not myself. And now you can see for yourself that I have not fulfilled my life. I feel as wretched as the most miserable, as the most wicked, and I long for death even as the most unhappy. Hines looking at her from under his spectacles. Does Olga know of your feelings towards Berman? I don't know what she knows. Can't you give me any better reply than that? What can I know? I used to write her letters just full of Berman. Could Olga have gathered from them that you were not indifferently disposed toward him? What do you mean by this cross-examination? I have a notion that if you were to do what you have in your mind at present, a thing that I cannot bring myself to name, then Olga would not accept Berman's love. Rather, she would take her own life, since she would look upon herself as the cause of your death. What's this you've thought up? Just what you heard. And you mean... That you know your sister, and ought to realize what she's liable to do. First she takes away my life, and now she will not let me die. Her head sinks to the table. There spoke the true Fanny, the Fanny of yore. Fanny weeping bitterly. Well may you weep. Weep, Fanny. Weep until the tears come no more. But when that is over, then dry your eyes, and never weep again. Dry forever the source of all your tears. That's exactly what I did. Do you understand? Such people as you and I, robbed of personal happiness, must either weep forever or never weep at all. I chose the latter course. Harden yourself, Fanny, and then fold your arms on your breast and look fearlessly forward into life, fulfilling it as your heart dictates. Fanny continues weeping. 
Hines, noticing Berman's letter on the table, takes it up and throws it down angrily. Such a botched, idiotic sentence. And he's a poet. Fanny raising her head. If things are as you say, then Olga will in any case reject Berman. She will imagine that she is taking him away from me, and such a thing she would never do. Perhaps. And what will be the effect of all this upon you? Who's thinking of self? I mean that I want her to have him. There's the old Fanny again. Ah, enough of that. Better help me with some suggestion. Some suggestion? Be her matchmaker. And suppose she should turn the tables and want to be my matchmaker? We've got to think that over. Hinders. What? I have an idea. Good. But I need your aid. Count on me, if I'm able. Do you promise? Blindly. Blindly. Hines looks at her. Why must I promise you blindly? If I'm able, you may be sure I'll help. Fanny brokenly, yet in embarrassment. Take me. Marry me. Hines for a moment. He looks at her, then picks up his crutch, his books, and the packages. Hinders, if I should marry, Olga wouldn't have any obstacle in her way. Miss Siegel, I have loved you, and still do. But I refuse to be the altar upon which you shall sacrifice yourself. But a moment ago you dissuaded me from death. Will you now drive me back to it? Your sister will be able to find happiness without Berman. But if she loves him... Then she'll suffer, just as we do. No, Olga must not suffer. Do you hear? I'll not have it. That is very nice of you. Hindus, I no longer know you. Hines turns toward the door. Good night. Fanny is overcome by sobbing. Hines limps to the door, then stops looks downward, then raises his eyes toward Fanny. Miss Siegel, why is it that during all the time I have boarded with you, I have made no declaration of love, that I have never proposed marriage? Fanny weeps. I'll tell you. Wasn't it because I knew that you didn't love me? And because I wanted your love, not merely your respect? No. You didn't do it simply because you knew that I would refuse you. And suppose I expected yes from you then you would have proposed and married you without your love yes but then i didn't know that you loved another the other no longer exists for me hines looks again at the floor silence hinders yes come nearer to me i am lame put all your bundles aside hines hesitates for a moment then puts down his books and packages fanny as if in embarrassment everything everything don't be ashamed say just what you mean lay aside the crutch too he lays aside the crutch fanny arises takes his hand hinders you know my attitude toward you you know how highly i esteem you how happy i've always been to possess in you a good true friend nestles her head against him coyly embrace me and give me a kiss a hot, passionate kiss. Put into it your whole love. Make it express your whole true soul. I tell you, our life will be happy. We souls forgotten by happiness will yet find it, in our own way, as best we can. You'll see how it'll soon be. Lizzie will come home and she'll play us a march of jubilation, a march of joy. She owes it to me. I'll dance, I tell you. I'll dance for two, you'll see. And I'll sing. I'll turn things upside down. Hindus, 
Kiss me. Hotly. Hotly. Hines passionately through tears. You. You. He gives her a long kiss, as if entranced. Slow Curtain End of Forgotten Souls by David Pinsky